How's that for a slice of fried gold? Oh, you think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. I'll be back. Just a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm sorry, Ben. Well, hello and welcome to Cinema Shock. It's the podcast that explores the stories behind your favorite cult and genre films. I'm one of your hosts, Gary Horn. I'm co-host Justin Bishop. And I'm your other co-host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Greetings and welcome to part eight of our series covering the works of the Wachowskis in our series called The Cinema of Fluidity. Our series finale. That's right. By the way, our series finale, uh, part Yay, eight we're of here. eight. Really part eight of ten. If you, if, That's if true. You, <laughs> if you count the bonus episodes, because there are a couple in there. But yeah, as far as regular episodes, this is episode eight. And this is the final episode of our series on the Wachowskis. We've been talking about this since, I think, September, I, I believe. Yeah. Or like the <laughs> end of September, <laughs> beginning of October, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So we, we spent a good chunk of the latter half of 2021 uh, talking about this. And we're going into a new year with the end of this. And then we'll be starting a new series coming up. We'll talk about that at the end of this episode. But for now, new year, uh, new film. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a new film every week, but. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, but now we're like potentially like Wachowski experts almost. I would well, say yeah. if anyone is, we are. Yeah, <laughs> we've done them all. We've done well, every single every single film. So this is this every is film, of- including V for Vendetta, which they didn't even direct, and including Sense Eight, which is an entire twenty-four episode television series. So yeah, Ooh. yeah, I'd say that we, I'd say that we could write a book on the Wachowskis. <laughs> That's an idea. <laughs> there you go. That's an idea. There actually aren't really any out there uh, that that really like dive really? into their films. Uh, well, there, there's one that I found that I've been I haven't really used it as a reference for this series. I, I've I've been reading it as more of like a just because it, it interested me for your own education. Yeah, but it, it it kind of it's written by a trans uh, author who is sort of viewing the their filmography through that viewpoint you know uh and they make some leaps here and there i mean we've talked about a lot of that stuff during this series and some of it definitely tracks but they also reach sometimes on some uh especially on like speed racer and stuff like that it also reads all very academic very like much like a textbook and it's a little hard to get through sometimes very dry Uh, but somebody needs to write a good book about just like diving into film by film or and who or, better than three straight white guys? Yeah, yeah, some yeah. <laughs> but you know, nobody's done a book that I've been able to find that takes a, a film by film look at the creation and and analysis of their film. So uh, we've basically done that though in podcast form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we like, were more entrepreneurial, like we would write it a book, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're too busy. Too busy. We, I was going to say, who has the time? Who has the time? Home. We have jobs. Yeah. So we talked about Sense Eight on a bonus episode that came out recently. Uh, hopefully, you guys have had a chance to listen to that. If not, go back and listen to it if you watch the series, because I guess we do probably spoil that 
series if you haven't watched it. Yeah, a little there. bit. Yeah. Uh, but during the lots production of, of there is a lot Spoiler of alerts. Spoiler alert, lots of orgies. Fucks everybody. Yes. That's show. that's mostly what the show's about. Lots of butts. <laughs> lots of butts. A few boobies. Butts. Some wieners. Mm. So during the production of Sensate, uh, Lily Wachowski, we talked about this uh, on that episode, but Lily Wachowski took a sabbatical from filmmaking, uh, leaving all the creative duties on the second season of that show to her sister, Lana. Uh, and since that time, the siblings have been working separately on different projects. Uh, Lily has spent a lot of her time working on a Showtime TV series called Work in Progress, which was created by Abby McEnany, the writer and comedian. Uh, Lily signed on as an executive producer and has also written and directed several episodes of the series. It recently concluded its uh, second season. I have not seen this series. Uh, have, have you guys, are you guys familiar with it at all? I yeah, had that, honestly never heard of it. Yeah. No. Yeah. I had never, I mean, I don't have showtime, so that's probably part of the reason why. And I if guess, you did, but, you'd be watching Dexter new blood. Yeah. Except that, uh, you know, it, I guess I probably would if I did actually have Showtime, but I'm not going to get Showtime to watch Dexter New Blood just because of uh, the way that Dexter kind of went off the rails there towards the end. <laughs> I, I've been watching it. It's pretty. The new one's pretty fun. Is it good? Really? So uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the show work in progress, but reading a little bit about it, like while working on this episode kind of made me want to watch it because uh it's i don't know it just it just sounds fun what one thing uh there julie sweeney you know who julia sweeney is from saturday night live yeah. uh you know she she played pat it's you know it's pat well yes. she she's on uh she's on the show like as her a fictionalized version of herself uh because <laughs> abby who is the like the main character is like a, a lesbian kind of uh androgynous and in, in her look kind of you know and she she is a self-identifying this is a quote from the way she describes her character a fat queer dyke <laughs> so that's how she describes herself oh and God. and julia sweeney plays there there's like there's a recurring plot point because abby has uh been sort of traumatized by the character of pat from Saturday Night Live and Julia oh, Sweeney God. is attempting to make amends <laughs> for, for that, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Also, uh, Weird Al Yankovic appears as Julia Sweeney's husband, but also as himself. <laughs> oh, that's show. funny. So I don't know what's going on in the show, but I want to watch it. <laughs> it sounds, sounds interesting. <laughs> anyway, so I might have to get a, a Showtime, uh, like a trial to watch the show. I did a deep dive into Lily for a while there. I was just really curious, like what 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 her reasoning was for stepping away. And I found a few interviews with her uh, where she talks about it. Um, I think one was in Inter Entertainment Weekly, or uh, there was a big one in Hollywood Reporter too. I think. But uh, uh, when when they asked her why she walked away, she said, "That's a tough one." I got out of my transition and was just completely exhausted because we had made Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending and the first season of Sense Eight back to back to back. We were posting one and prepping the other at the exact same time. So you're talking about three 100 plus days of shooting for each project. So coming out and just being completely exhausted, my world was like falling apart to some extent, even while I was like, you know, cracking out of my egg. So I needed this time away from this industry. I needed to reconnect with myself as an artist. And I did that by going back to school and painting and stuff. Um, she also talks about a little resentment. Uh, she says she had resentment towards the industry because she felt like she had wasted personal time, uh, three decades long career. Uh, she says like, sometimes you'll be making a film and you feel like you got out of a time machine and you 
get in and you get jostled around and you come out a year and a half later and uh, things have just oh, wow. totally changed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she also blamed Hollywood a little bit just in general. She said, I got in when a film was at its peak before boards and marketers found a way to wrangle movies. Eventually, all those people and institutions ended up in the room with you and specifically behind the typewriter and behind the lens and behind the avid. Ugh. It created a bit of tension for me personally. I got to this breaking point and I just had to walk away. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that makes sense. And she did yeah. take a little bit of a break before uh, beginning work on Work in Progress. I think Work in Progress premiered in like 2019. So she's taken a few years off since. So it's been four years since the first season of Sense8, which is the last thing that she she worked on. So, mm-hmm. so she's taken a few years off. And in the meantime, Lana continued to collaborate with many of the creatives that helped her bring Sense8 to the screen. Uh, but this time... They were returning to the franchise that brought the Wachowskis worldwide acclaim more than two decades ago. Uh, we're talking, of course, about this week's film, uh, a new release, a first time for Cinema Shock, I believe, a new release. We're talking about The Matrix Resurrections. Whoa, I remember this. So deja vu. And yet it's obviously all wrong. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. They taught you good. Made you believe their world was all you deserved. But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. remember if he said whoa in the He's, in the movie i know he, he does. says i still know kung fu does he yeah, yeah he says whoa I've, they're they're showing him something it might be when the morpheus uh thing when he shakes his hand when it's like the in the real world the morpheus projection thing that's made of the little beads oh yeah, he yeah. Shake, when he shakes his hand he goes he says whoa uh, it's either okay. whoa or wow, but I'm going to say that it's whoa. Mm, <laughs> I've, I've watched this movie three times this week, guys. Really? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, I watched this movie in the theater opening night, and then I have rewatched the first three Matrix movies, watched this again, and then watched this again with Buddy. Good <laughs> so God. Jeez. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm going to be honest, that kind of makes me want to throw up. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it's been, it was fun. You know, watch it in the theater and at home and then with money. So it's different experiences each time, you know. So anyway. now Justin is going to, what this episode is, is basically Justin's going to recite the Matrix Resurrection. The entire plot. Spoilers <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, about which, Here I guess, uh, <laughs> if you have not seen the Matrix Resurrections, we are going to spoil it. We do this on all of our episodes. Uh, we always talk about the movie as if, you know, we're hoping that you watch it along with us uh, and have watched the movie or at least have seen it. Uh, of course, this being a new release is the reason that I'm actually giving a kind of disclaimer this time around because a lot of people haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's still on HBO as of the time we're recording this, and I'm sure you'll be able to find it you know, at any point in the future pretty easily. But I just want to throw that out there that we're going to be talking about the movie pretty in depth and we spoilers will abound. 
So the movie, uh, the the fourth Matrix movie had a long road to the screen because for years, neither of the Wachowski sisters had any interest at all in doing another Matrix movie. Uh, in fact, while, back when they were working on the second and third film, they had told their close collaborators that they were ending the franchise there, instead giving their blessing to the idea of gamers, uh, quote, uh, inheriting the storyline with the next Matrix video, ga video game, which was a, a massive multiplayer online RPG called The Matrix Online. They wanted that game and the storyline that the gamers created to serve as the official continuation of the story. But then in the, in the early 2010s, uh, rumors began to swirl that the Wachowskis were workshopping ideas for a fourth film, had possibly even met with Keanu Reeves to discuss the possibility. Uh, but all of these turned out to be just that, just rumors. I mean, this happens in Hollywood all the time. We're always hearing about uh, rumors and until they're substantiated, like it's lunches being had, meetings yeah. being taken. Right. Maybe that's maybe Lana and, and Keanu just had lunch because they're friends, you know, and they might not have been taken. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> that could be. But yeah, you can definitely see the press blowing that out of proportion. I wonder if they were thinking with the video game that like it was just going to take off, like the MMO RPG thing would just, I don't know, like yeah. that's the natural next evolution yeah. of of this thing which again they're they're ahead of the curve it's like like even if like they wanted to get into vr and you could live in the matrix like oh, what yeah. facebook's trying to do to you right like now a, yeah and i mean i would play a matrix oculus game honestly that no would be it'd be awesome yeah, <laughs> I think, be awesome. except i would try to do bullet time then i would just fall in my living room with, <laughs> i think i think we're getting to the point where you're eventually going to be able to like strap on a suit or something and and live in the the metaverse yeah uh, as mark zuckerberg would have you do but uh, it's uh, he's basically creating the matrix. Yeah, he's trying to create the matrix <laughs> right now. But I still feel like we're a little ways off from it. So, yeah, again, I think they're ahead of, ahead of the game on, yeah. on that. So back back to the theater, Wachowskis. <laughs> so in 2015, while promoting Jupiter Ascending, Lily Wachowski was quoted as saying that a return to the matrix was a particularly a particularly repelling idea in these times and these times, meaning these current Hollywood. These times when studios preferred to greenlight sequels, reboots, and adaptations over original material. Mm -hmm. uh, Lana also addressed the rumors about a potential reboot, saying that they hadn't heard anything, but thought that the studio might be looking to replace them and move forward with the franchise with or without them. Over the years, in various interviews, uh, Keanu Reeves and Hugo Weaving, they would, of course, they're often asked about the idea of a new film. Uh, they both kind of showed willingness to return, but only if the Wachowskis were involved from a production and creative uh, point. Then in 2017, The Hollywood Reporter broke a story saying that Warner Brothers was in the early stages of developing a relaunch of the series with Zach Penn in Talks to Write and Michael B. Jordan was being sought after to star. Now, at this point in the development, the Wachowskis weren't involved at all, although Warner Brothers was, they were hoping to get their blessing. And then Zach Penn, when he was asked about it, he denied that a reboot or remake was being considered and that the ideas for stories set within the universe that had been established by the Wachowskis were being explored. So he was just kind of a you know shared universe kind of situation. I mean, this is 2017. This is well within the, the time of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and that's what everyone wants. That's what Warner Brothers wants. That's what they've been trying to unsuccessfully do with DC. Uh, but, you know, The Matrix, we've talked about this even back, especially when we talked about, I think, the Animatrix, like this story is ripe for ideas for an expanded universe. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. but this seems to be maybe what Zach Penn was working on. Uh, for those who don't idea, know, uh, Zach Penn, by the way, uh, you know, if you've seen X2 or the Edward Norton Hulk movie, he wrote those screenplays. We talked about him in the Shane Black 
episode, I think, for a minute because he originally had written the last action hero, right? Like you, yeah, he wrote um, the Avengers too, the first Joss Whedon one, I think, didn't he? I think that is correct. Yeah, he's done a lot of comic book stuff. He did. um, You could also look at him as the guy who did X Men: The Last Stand in that Electra (laughs) movie. So, whichever way you want to view Uh, him, more (laughs) most importantly, he wrote Last Action Hero. Yeah, but but yeah, that's what I meant with the Shane Black episode. I think we brought him up for a minute because he had written that, and then Shane Black had the the rewrite rewrite duty thing. Shane Black did the rewrite. Yeah. So, anyway, one of the ideas that was being kind of kicked around was, or at least one of the it was rumored to being kicked around, I should say, uh, was a film about a young Mor- a young Morpheus or maybe a, a sequel about one of his descendants. This was kind of the internet's thinking when they saw that Michael B. Jordan was possibly being involved, that he might be playing either a young Morpheus or a descendant of Morpheus. Uh, in, in August of 2019, Warner Brothers officially confirmed that a fourth Matrix film was in the works, but that it wasn't the one that Zach Penn was working on. Uh, Zach Penn apparently never stopped working on that. He may even still be working on whatever project that was. Uh, But this was actually a separate project that was being developed kind of simultaneously side by side with the Zach Penn project. This one was going to be directed by Lana Wachowski herself. I actually found a a tweet from Zach Penn back in 2019. uh, And uh, I don't I don't know why I dug so much into this, but they, the, uh, but he said, uh, people keep asking. So let me clarify. There are now two different matrix projects at WB. I wrote one set earlier in the timeline of the matrix universe. Lana Wachowski is directing a sequel that I did not work on, but I cannot wait to see it. Neither of these are reboots. So. Yeah. So that, that's what makes me think that maybe he's still working on that, or it, it may have been shelved at this point, but who knows? Uh, I guess it, it might depend on the, on how well this movie does on if they move forward with any other ones. Uh, but Lana Wachowski's back on board. And, and what the question is, is kind of what changed her mind. I mean, she was very adamant about never returning to the matrix back when they were doing the other one. She thought that the story was told uh, well back in September of, of 2021, just a few months ago, Lana spoke on a panel at the Berlin international literature festival. And there she explained how for many years, she and Lily considered the story concluded uh, even though she says that every year warner brothers would ask us to make another one like they warner brothers they know the power of the the intellectual property and they wanted another matrix movie and they wanted the wachowskis involved she said uh, that every year they would drive truckloads of money up to our house and say you can have this <laughs> and we said no 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 not interested not interested yeah, they were not but then she goes on to explain in that same interview or that, that same panel she was on how a series of tragedies in her life led her back to the matrix. So within the span of a few months, both of her parents got ill and eventually they both died. Uh, during the same period of time, a close friend of hers died. So all within a, a span of a few months, her dad dies, then her friend dies, and then her mother dies. And remember how supportive her parents had been like when she, she came out uh, like it her, her parents, they, they had a very close relationship with their parents and she was devastated and she didn't know how to deal with that kind of grief all at once, you know? And then mm. one night she's unable to fall asleep. Uh, she's restless and, you know, thoughts just start pouring into her head. And the way that she tells the story is that during this, the sleepless night, this entire story comes to her. Uh, the idea for what a, what another matrix could be. And here's what she goes on to say. Here's a quote from that, that panel. She says, I couldn't have 
I couldn't have my mom and dad, yet suddenly I had Neo and Trinity, arguably the two most important characters in my life. It was immediately comforting to have these two characters alive again, and it's super simple. You can look at it and say, okay, these two people die, and okay, bring these two people back to life, and doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it did. It's simple, and this is what art does, and this is what stories do. They comfort us, and they're important. So it was with this mindset that she set out to make a new Matrix movie, kind of this idea of of these characters who had died in in the film. They had died, but Mm. because... It, they're, they're part of a story that, that she can control. Uh, she actually has the ability to bring these two characters back to life. You could also look uh-huh. at the text of the movie and decide that the, some of the other things she might have been thinking were that line between uh, who is eventually Agents or uh, Agent Smith and uh, Keanu Reeves, or they say our, our beloved parent company, Warner yeah. Brothers, has decided they will make a sequel to the trilogy with or without us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she's definitely oh, yeah. she's definitely got plenty to say about that. Yeah. Very, very meta. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as as for why Lily didn't return, I mean, Gary touched on it a little bit, but she did say that there was uh, something about the idea of going. This is a, a quote. Uh, there was something about the idea of going backward and being part of something that I had done before that was expressly unappealing. I didn't want to have gone through my transition and had, had gone through this massive upheaval in my life. The sense of loss from my mom and dad to want to go back to something that I had done before and sort of walk over old paths that I'd walked in felt emotionally unfulfilling and really the opposite. Like I was going to go back and live in these old shoes in a way. And I didn't want to do that. And I thought that was really interesting when I read that quote after reading that quote from Lana, because I think it's really interesting how different their attitudes are to it. Like Lily felt like if she went back to the matrix, she would be regressing by going back to that. Well, like walking in those old, shoes on those old paths whereas lana seems to have felt comfort in revisiting the familiar you know yeah i thought that was really interesting how different their their takes on that was yeah at that same uh berlin international literature festival you mentioned earlier uh they asked lana about this because this is going to be like the first thing uh first film i guess they they haven't directed together and uh she said that she had asked lily um, I think her quote here is, uh, I asked Lily if she wanted to do this and she wanted to process her grief differently. And she was in art school and she was on a different path. She didn't want to go this way to process, but you know, the story evolved. And I told my wife the story and she said, Oh my God, you have to make it. And I was like, uh, matrix can't go back there. But I asked my friends, my friends were really the sort of decision-making process that helped me say, okay, yeah, this is right. Let's do this because these people are really the reason we went back and did it again. So in lieu of having her sister as a co-screenwriter, as she had had on all of the previous Matrix projects, Lana brought in David Mitchell and Alexander Heeman to co-write the screenplay with her. Now, Mitchell, as you'll recall, we mentioned him in our Sense8 episode as well. uh, He had written the novel that Cloud Atlas was based on, and he and Heeman had been Lana's co-writer on the series finale of Sense8. So... She's bringing back these past collaborators. You know, I, I mentioned in our Sensei episode how she had almost built a new family of collaborators starting on Cloud Atlas and moving forward. You see a lot of the same people. Uh, so in, in this particular case on the new Matrix movie, uh, she would have uh, several other collaborators coming back, including cinematographer John Toll, who had shot Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, and Sense8, uh, editor Joseph Jet Sally, who had edited uh, Ninja Assassin, and every episode of Sense8, and several episodes of Work in Progress with Lily. 
the music was once again composed by Johnny Clemick and Tom Tickmer. Uh, Hugh Badup was back as the production designer. Dan Glass is back as the visual effects supervisor. So the the, the band's getting back together. Oh know? yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really it's really kind of fun to see that all all these people this creative family are all coming back together for this project. And none of these people are, are well. I think Hugh Badup had worked on uh, on the Matrix. He wasn't a supervisor, but uh, I think. He was in production design or something along those lines under Owen Patterson back then. But most of these people are, are, are ones who started working with the Wachowskis around Cloud Atlas. And of course, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are also returning to in the roles of Neo and Trinity. Uh, but they're actually some of only a few cast members from the original trilogy that would return. Uh, the only other performers from the original trilogy that appear, except in archive footage, are Jada Pinkett Smith as an elderly version of Niobe and Lambert Wilson as the Merovingian uh, mm-hmm. in a pretty fun kind of cameo yeah. <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, Daniel Bernhardt is uncredited, but he plays Agent Johnson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is, so, and he played Agent Johnson in the original. And in the original. I think he's a stuntman. Well. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a lot of action movies, just yeah. like his like, little small, like, yeah. goon roles usually. Yeah. But, but yeah, he, well, he was also in there, I saw. Nice. So two actors from the original trilogy who are uh, conspicuously missing from the film are Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus and Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith. So Weaving was event- originally he was approached to play Smith in the film, but he had some scheduling conflicts. He had been appearing in a play. And although they tried to work with his schedule, it just wasn't meant to be. They could not work out the scheduling. So Jonathan Groff was cast as a new iteration of Smith love him as smith <laughs> i think John, i love jonathan groff anyway and yeah I think, yeah I think he's having a lot of fun in the role he yeah really there's is. not like you can't find like much about the the casting in this i guess because there's not much to tell i mean like keanu yeah. reeves like literally in an interview is just like why'd you agree to return to this series after a two-decade hiatus he's like we had filmmakers we wanted to say yes to and yeah. we had a yeah. script we wanted to commit to yeah i mean and carrie ann moss <laughs> like that the original matrix made her career you know yeah. why would she not return but I think Jonathan Groff is really good. One I love him. I, I love him on Mine Hunters. I love him on Mine Hunter. Um, so good, Hamilton. I, Hamilton. I love him course. in Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in this, he does this thing because uh, he's playing Smith very, very differently, obviously, than Hugo Weaving. But there are moments when you watch this where he goes into yep, <laughs> like some speech patterns that are very yes. similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the <laughs> one that stood out to me when I when I rewatched this was when he's talking to uh to thomas anderson in his office that first scene that he's in and he's saying how stories never really end he mm-hmm. says they have different you know they may have different names different faces and the way that he says different faces he has this like pause in there that is it's so he's doing hugo weaving as smith for like a moment yep. uh, while talking <laughs> while addressing different a different face you know maybe yeah, he has yeah. a different face it's really a great little subtle nod and uh when it, when i re-watched it i i thought i caught it and then i watched it again and i was like yeah he's 100 doing a hugo weaving thing there just for like three words yeah you know it's it's very subtle but yeah. watch what he's doing it's mm-hmm. it's spot on hugo weaving <laughs> it's good it's good and and of course morpheus uh, well, Lawrence Fishburne claims to have not been asked to come back to the film. He told Collider in an interview recently, uh, you'd have to ask, you'd have to ask Lana Wachowski why, because I don't have an answer for that. Uh, but here, here's one rumor that, or, or one theory, I guess, that a lot of people on the internet have had about this, is that the answer might lie in the aforementioned Matrix video game, The Matrix Online. So The Matrix Online 
was this massive multiplayer online role-playing game where players would control a newly awakened red pill who chooses one of several factions that have been formed uh, between the humans and the machines in the wake of the ending of the third film. So players would interact with several characters from the trilogy. Uh, you had like or the Oracle was a major character, uh, Seraph, and of course Morpheus. And in the plot of the game, which takes place after the events of the Matrix Revolutions, uh, Morpheus returns to the Matrix to ask the Oracle why, uh, despite the truce between humans and machines, the machines had actually not returned Neo's remains to Zion. Uh, so Morpheus, along with whatever players choose to join his faction, they start trying to reconstruct Neo's residual residual self-image, you know, the version of Neo that exists within the Matrix, yeah. uh, his digital avatar. That's kind of what they call it. They're trying to resurrect him, essentially, as or as a way to kind of resurrect him, or at least to resurrect a version of him. But Morpheus gets frustrated when he can't do it. So with no other options, he begins detonating code bombs across the matrix, compromising the integrity of the simulation as a way of kind of forcing the machines to comply with his demands. Morpheus essentially becomes like a, like we won't call him a terrorist. terrorist we'll, call him, we'll call him a freedom fighter. Okay. <laughs> like, right, like, v, like V and V for Vendetta, you know, yeah, one, right. one man's uh, terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. But There you go. Yeah, so after seeing uh, after setting off one of the uh, the code bombs, Morpheus is ambushed by a program created by the machines called the Assassin, and he's killed in the storyline of the game. And of course, uh, this is considered canon by the Wachowskis. Uh, and there could be more to the story, but the Matrix Online was canceled in two thousand nine, so we might never know if he, maybe he faked his death, which was a uh, you know one of the theories that was going around. But the story never went beyond that, so we'll never know. So. Uh, hmm. But Ni- Niobe does tell Neo in, in this movie, uh, he t- she tells Neo that after revolutions, Morpheus was elected to the high chair of the council, like unanimously elected. And then when there were rumors that there was this new power taking over the machine world, he ignored them. Say He was certain that what Neo had done could not be undone. That's what Niobe says in, in the mm. film. So uh, it's hard to say where how those s- timelines might line up. Um, it's possible that we'll learn in interviews in the future with Fishburne and or Wachowski, you know, there might be more of to the story that we don't know yet. More light might shine on the reasons why he wasn't involved. Uh, it could also be that this is set 60 years after the events of the last film. And that would make um, Lawrence Fishburne's character like 90 years old. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, no, no. so there's also that. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. He could be, de- he could, he could just be dead. He could just be, di- he died of old age because <laughs> Niobe is old as shit in this movie. You know? Yeah. That could, it, it could just be a logistical storytelling thing. Yeah. But that's true. Um, yeah. And, and it, yeah, but maybe, I mean, you could make those two stories work together. Like he, he got caught up in all this other bullshit. And oh, yeah. You could absolutely the, make them work this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So instead of Fishburne as Morpheus, we have franchise newcomer Yahya Abdul Mateen II as a version of Morpheus. And I love this actor. Uh, he's he's quickly becoming one of those like actors I look for. Uh, I first saw him in what was it, Aquaman, where he played Black, Black he's Manta? Manta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's in the new Candyman movie, and he's really outstanding in that. I don't think they um, call him Black Manta, Justin. Not in isn't the that Aquaman the character's movie. name in the comic book? It is, but it's a little on the nose. In this <laughs> <one>. <laughs> 
but that is the, am i am i wrong is that the character yeah it's black manta, black manta. yeah okay. yeah that's the comic <laughs> character i think they only in the movie refer to him as manta because they're just like well you, clearly he's <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he was great in that. And I remember seeing him, him in Aquaman and thinking, like, this guy's got, like, movie star potential. Uh, he's very charismatic. He's, and, and this, I think, more than anything I've seen him in, showcases his charisma. Uh, but I did think he was really good in the Candyman uh, reboot, sequel, reboot quote, whatever yeah, you want to call whatever it. Whatever that was. <laughs> whatever yeah. you want to call that. He's very, he's very good. good. <laughs> yeah. uh, other franchise newcomers include Neil Patrick Harris as the analyst, uh, Priyanka Chopra. Uh, who's married to one of the Jonas Brothers, apparently, as Sati, and Jessica Henwick as Bugs. Jessica Henwick, uh, wasn't she an Iron Fist? Isn't she an Iron uh, Fist? She is, yes. So, yes. She was yeah. Uh, yeah. Colleen yeah. Wing yeah, yeah. in Iron Fist. Uh, she was up for a role in Shang-Chi, uh, and uh, at the same time... She had to she choose between the two? Bugs. Yeah, and uh, both Disney and Warner Brothers knew about the other's offer, and uh, they gave her an ultimatum that she could audition. She she could audition for one to get it uh, only if she uh, forfeited the other one. Wow. Oh. And so neither role was guaranteed. Uh, she wow. says it was a real red pill, red pill, blue pill moment for her. And she chose the red pill. <laughs> yeah, she liked it because she thought that Bugs was kind of the audience's eyes in Resurrection. She is. Yeah, she is. I mean, she's the first character you meet in the film. Yeah, and so she 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 liked the idea that she was kind of the you know the, the she's the vision for like all these new characters and everything like it you're you're kind of seeing it through her and um but yeah yeah I I thought she was really really great and uh, Groff and everybody's good I don't I don't know um you know given what they did do with Morpheus I know we said all that stuff but. I guess the argument could still be made. Like if he's just getting remade in the matrix as like a program, then he could still technically be Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, so. he could, but yeah. yeah, but, but they kind of address that a little bit. Cause they, they do address the kind of the reskinning of certain characters, even that in, in the, um, the modal at the beginning, you know, you've got Trinity, but it's not really Trinity. Uh, yeah. Even the agents look different. Cause he is initially written as sort of an, uh, an amalgamation of, of uh, Morpheus and agent Smith. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, so. that's true. And uh, and Groff, um, just for what it's worth, um, he he was really he, he spoke well of Keanu and everything. And he's normally, you know, is a obviously like a Broadway trained actor and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I think he he came out in 2009, so he talked about how big of a deal this was for him to be like in an action film, like in an action role, and uh, yeah. you know, like since you know, I guess L LGBTQ people aren't traditionally seen in that role. Uh, so he, he took it as like a big moment for, for him to, to be yeah. able to be a part of that. So also joining the cast of this uh, is about half the cast of Sense8. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. really, you've got Toby Onwumir. He plays uh, Seek Sequoia, the, the, uh, the operator of the ship whose name I, even after watching this movie three times, cannot pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Max Remelt, uh, he plays Shepard. Uh, Brian J. Smith, I don't remember his character's name in this, but he's a, he's another crew member. He's the one that's like the neologist, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, that guy. Yeah. He well, yeah. So he was. That's that's uh, Will Will Gorski. Gorski. Yeah, Will Gorski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got Erin Erin uh, Dira Ibarra, who I don't think we really talked about in our Sense Eight episode, but remember she played Daniela on Sense Eight. Yeah, uh, she's the third wheel. 
Yeah, the third wheel that she <laughs> she that ruins their lives. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've got Michael X. Summers who played Bug in in Sense Eight. He's got a small yes. role here. Uh, even like you've got uh, Freema uh, Aguiman. She has a very very small role as like a uh, employee at Deus Machina. You know, she's really yeah, yeah. in that one montage where they're talking around the table. Uh, and then you've also got in that same scene there is. Um, Parab Kohli, the guy who plays uh, Rajan in, in Sensei, oh, he's yeah. in there. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, but he's, he looks very different. He's got like a ponytail and stuff. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, Mumbi Mena, who played, uh, she was the journalist in yeah. Kafia's yes. story, and and Sensei, she's in there, and Max Moff, who plays. Uh, the the guy who I don't like in Sensei, you know, the German guy, he's right. in this as the uh, the construct of the like machine who's helping them grow strawberries oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's him yeah, as well nice. i didn't recognize him at first but until i looked at the credits but yeah there's a lot of people in this movie a lot of them in very very small roles uh but i like that they're just kind of allowing like just asking their friends to come in for to film a couple of scenes sometimes it seems yeah. uh which <laughs> may be why christina ricci only has literally one scene in this i was I about remember, to say is she a good friend of the wachowskis and i mean she just was like, in you want to stop speed in racer? for a sec <laughs> she's in speed racer hey, let, hey let's not gloss over I, I know the listeners can't see this but justin wrote a fantastic joke here in the notes what did it i says, write even freema Geeman, in a very, very small role, though not quite as small as Christina Ricci. <laughs> and I was like, that is it's such true. a brilliant because because she's very because not only is the part small, but like Christina Ricci is a tiny person. She's a tiny person. Yeah. <laughs> Christina Ricci uh, is six four. So I don't know why you're saying that. It's mostly head. Uh, <laughs> forehead. She's built like a Funko pop. That's basically how. Uh, uh, no, I, I love Christina Ricci and I was actually really excited to see her in this. Like when I remember mean, her I casting. feel bad, Christina. I know you're listening and I'm sorry. Uh, she's a very beautiful woman. Come on. Let's, yeah. let's no, 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 no. It's, it's a fun little gag. Uh, but I remember when her casting was announced, getting really excited, like, oh, I'm going to get to see her do some like Matrix, like Kung Fu shit. And nah, oh. she just plays like. She works for Warner Brothers and she's got neat hair. (laughs) I'm in the boardroom. (laughs) Yeah, she's just in the boardroom the whole time. But maybe, I don't know, maybe her role got cut short because, you know, maybe it got edited. Maybe a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor or maybe they know. I I was about to say maybe they have plans for future movies, but they've been pretty adamant about this being the last one. But we've heard that before. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, while we're on the subject of the cast, Todd. Yes. Any any luck on this one with any... uh, any Star Trek alumni? Well, actually, uh, so let's go ahead and get into our one. It's definitely my favorite segment. It's, it's <laughs> Who, it might not be anyone else's, but it's, it's yours. That's <laughs> true. And we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> Who am I trekking with? So uh, here we go. We've got uh, Chris Reed. Uh, he's a stunt performer and he did uh, um, alongside Stephen Dunleavy, who is credited as Agent Jones. In this, he is also an assistant stunt coordinator for the movie. Both of them were on uh, three episodes of Star Trek Picard. And uh, Stephen Dunleavy actually uh, was a stunt performer in season one, episode four, Absolute Candor, which is directed by Jonathan Frakes. And Mr. John Gata, the Gata Force, Mr. Bullet Time himself, is credited as the Deus, Ec- Deus Machina 
employee number one and yeah. his connection he's is terrible yeah yeah he's a terrible actor it's really Whoever, <laughs> him and the other two guys in that scene like they're all clearly like they're, they're doing cameos as like a fun little uh yeah little, uh but they're all really bad <laughs> but uh john gata's connection is he was uh he was uh part of the crew for star trek five which i think we mentioned uh star trek five the final frontier he was the chief lighting technician for the model unit so basically he took the little models that get filmed and made them look even more pretty so back and when I that think, was a I thing think, that they did yeah exactly back when that was a thing uh which i think justin mentioned in his yeah. notes uh back uh back in when we covered the matrix initially so that and that's everybody on star trek so not a lot in the actual cast other than like stunt performers really yeah yeah, yeah. just stunt folks yeah for well, the most part. which i thought i was like okay some of these people for sure and i was yeah. just like oh it's everybody from the matrix and sense eight so no well it's <laughs> tough to get new faces in star trek so now we've just helped out paramount they know where yeah. to like mine for <laughs> actors now <Yeah. laughs> all the all the wachowski movies uh, well john, john gato is one of a few like kind of fun cameos because james mcteague has a cameo in there uh yeah. tiger chin who has a cameo and then the most obvious one is chad stahelski as chad as yeah. handsome chad <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's such a chad yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I don't think he was doing stunts on this one. I mean, Ch- Chad Stahelski, we know uh, he was Keanu's stunt uh, stunt double and a stunt coordinator on all the other Matrix movies, but has gone on to become a director in his own right. He probably uh, remembers of, the original. Mostly of John Wick movies. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, we, he probably remembers the first Matrix where he got like broken in half in that one stunt. Yeah, where, where he, he broke was... his knees in the, <laughs> yeah. the train. Oh, oh, God. Yeah. So the Matrix Resurrections began filming on February 4th, 2020 under the code name Project Ice Cream. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, filming began in San Francisco before moving on to Babelsberg Studio in Germany. Remember, they filmed a lot of stuff there uh, and some shooting in Chicago. Apparently, now, they wanted to do a lot in Chicago and yeah. uh, they, you know, they just the budget didn't allow, which mm-hmm. speaks to because in San Francisco, I was reading like uh, uh, the like right around this, I mean, there was uh, Shang Chi and Venom. Yeah, Let there be there. Carnage, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. like they were all filming there. And uh, apparently, they San Francisco like uh, police department had a fee for like four hundred twenty thousand dollars per yeah. movie to to, to film in the city because of the yeah. disruption it causes. Well, and it seems like I think Lana lives in San Francisco now or has a home there. And it seems like that's become kind of a second home outside of Chicago. I was going to say, aren't they Chicago, Chicago natives? They yeah. Are but she, uh, you know, when, when they started like brainstorming uh, for since eight, if you remember in that episode, when, when Mike J. Michael Straczynski came to her house to brainstorm, it was to her house in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And San Francisco plays very prominently in that series. Yes. Uh, that's where Nomi lives. We talked right. a little so, bit about in, in Sense8, too. Like, I mean, she, she took a lot of different turns. Like, um, you know, there was no second unit for any of the action sequences. Yeah, which one. is crazy, honestly. Yeah, like, she she, shoot, she shoots everything herself. And they did it digitally, which I think is dif- different than how they did the other Matrix yeah. movies. Um, and uh, in one interview with Keanu, I was looking at, he talks about uh, he remembered her being more behind the monitor in the original trilogy, but still kind of hands-on. But he says with Resurrection, Resurrections, uh, she's participating with the movement of the camera more yeah. interested in doing rehearsing, more interested in that than doing rehearsing. Uh, this time around, it was less about prep and it, it was more about readiness to find the unexpected in the moment. Uh, mm. He said, we, we actually barely rehearsed anything, if at all. 
Well, Jessica Henwick in some interviews I read with her talks about Lana's directing style where she, yeah, she would control the camera herself sometimes. And sometimes she, the way that she describes it is that Lana would, you know, you'd be having a dialogue scene between two people and she might turn the camera away from the person talking to the other person. Like, and you kind of have to be on your toes and ready uh, for whatever she's doing and just kind of keep going because she's kind of just going with the flow where, which is interesting because the original Matrix movies were so intricately thought out like every yeah. shot yeah. was thought out like like a comic book everything was storyboarded every single moment and now she's she's being much more spontaneous it feels like and so i don't know if that is just her growing as an artist or maybe the the structural like how how specific they were on the previous films was more of a lily thing i don't know yeah well, that's why like, i brought it up i was curious about that too because i yeah. just thought that was interesting because yeah we, we went into detail about you know all of the storyboards and how intricately intricately plotted everything was before and so now yeah. it just sounds like she's just like all right let's go catch whatever yeah. we catch yeah it's, yeah it's really interesting to see how she's evolved uh now unless you've been in a coma for the last couple of years that filming date uh the start date of february 4th 2020 should probably make you cringe just yeah. a little bit yeah. <laughs> because it wasn't long after that, that the entire world shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which included shutting down a lot of film productions. Mm. So on March 20th, 2020 production on the matrix resurrections was halted. Uh, it, like they, they had to stop. They didn't know when they were going to get to start back. And when it stopped, Lana Wachowski flirted with the idea of not even finishing the film saying that, Hey, maybe we won't come back and film the rest of it. Maybe the new matrix will go down as this legendary incomplete film that nobody will ever be able to see. That's uh, but the so, casting, that's pretty was, cool. Though. <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. It, it would be pretty cool, but like, cause everyone would just want to see that movie. Yes. Yeah. Be, yeah. I, but, Henwick says that was legit. Like the, she told her to really not gonna do it and she's like no you have to yeah and uh the, the, she said she really kind of like we have to finish this like you have to tell this story yeah uh, <laughs> henwick said she didn't even even if they didn't know they were coming back she said she did not treat it like they weren't coming back she told her that she refused and she's like, yeah henwick like kept training. doing she kept training and everything during the break and they were in break for a while on a while from march 16th until august 16th uh, so on August 16th, filming resumed. So they're, they're, what is that exactly five months that they're just not doing anything? Yeah. Yeah, that's a long break to take in filming. Yeah. So, but on August 16th, they started uh, filming again in Berlin with strict COVID protocols in effect. And then principal photography wrapped on November 11th, 2020. It's my birthday, by the way. If nice. Oh. <laughs> 11, Happy 11. birthday a year ago, Justin. <laughs> So the the Matrix Resurrections, uh, it, it was, uh, as many other films were, delayed due to the COVID pandemic. Initially, it was scheduled for release on May 21st, 2021, which actually would have had it premiere alongside John Wick Chapter 4, which was also originally scheduled to come out that day. So you had competing uh, Keanu's, which I think is <laughs> really fun. <laughs> but, uh, but John Wick 4 got postponed to April of 2022. And the Matrix Resurrections was pushed back to December 22nd, 2021. I feel like and, that's some sort of like climax to an ultimate Keanu plot, though. Like, yeah, right. He's yeah. immortal. Like, <laughs> it's just like his goal is to like only my face in the box office. Like, yeah. it's just all him. Um, they did. Uh, I was going to say they, they did do um, some fun stuff again. They brought back, you know, the, at least they were still stuck on that. They brought back a what is the matrix dot com. And did they really? There. Yeah. Yeah. You could go there and like it knew the time on your computer. Did you ever see that? They had like 
2,000 or it was almost 3,000 different unique variations of the trailer that would play based wow. on your time that you were watching it, your date and time. It would read that and say it like it would treat it like you were witnessing something like it was sending yeah. you a secret message. And uh, wow. Yeah, it was cool. pretty interesting. That's they awesome. Did, yeah. And they um, they had a whole thing about the medication. Uh, uh, it was onto uh, onto which is the blue pill that Keanu is taking in the movie, which is a it's it's a exploration of ontology, which is one of the philosophies that the Wachowskis love uh, the nature of being. So that's like a clever play on that. Um, they also got into the uh, uh, nice little nft world uh in yeah. anticipation <laughs> uh, warner brothers partnered with uh, a brand called nifties to create one hundred thousand unique nft avatars that will exist in this thing called the matrix universe and users will be given the choice to take the blue pill or the red pill on january 5th 2021 um or 2022 i guess it would be what that is and we'll be able to compete with other avatar owners to climb the red pill blue pill leaderboards by completing missions and the uh it will be a multi-year experience <laughs> including an what? active online community and missions that offer users opportunities to earn more nfts and upgrade their avatars um, you can go to that site right now and look they're all sold out they've sold all 100,000 the cheapest what? one now is like 75 bucks I think that you wow. can find oh, God. but that's yeah. crazy you just look up <laughs> matrix nft I love that they're still doing wild stuff like this they also did this um the matrix awakens thing did you see this this thing with unreal engine 5 yeah uh, yeah they, they released uh for playstation 5 and xbox uh what's the new one xbox series x mm -hmm. so it was uh it's it's described as a new matrix experience <laughs> which was developed by lana wachowski and epic games uh, it was described as here's this is from their like I guess their press release, but it's described as a wild ride into the reality bending universe of the matrix that features performances by Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, Epic pitches the experience as a glimpse into the future of interactive storytelling and entertainment in the boundary pushing cinematic and real time tech demo. I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's generally the, it's nice to see that despite everything, Lana was able to bounce back and get all of this wild shit done uh <laughs> the matrix again i guess it's just it would only happen because it's the matrix and it has right. the legacy it has and 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 no uh we didn't even mention it but i guess uh worth worth stating no joel silver this time around so no, well no joel silver but he hasn't been with them since uh the third matrix movie right or since uh speed racer maybe maybe right. speed racer yeah, right. but speed grant racer. hill is still on as a producer and he's been with them since uh, matrix reloaded on everything he's he's been a producer and james mcteague is actually credited as an executive producer this time around as well nice so the matrix resurrections uh like all of warner brothers films in 2021 was simultaneously released on hbo max uh, it was actually the, it's actually the final warner brothers film to have a simultaneously theatrical and streaming premiere date as part of their like the way that they responded to COVID by, by releasing everything on HBO simultaneously. Yeah. And thanks a lot. Hard. Warner brothers. I have to get off my ass again. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, HBO max premiere might have hurt the film's box office chances. It's still a little bit early to say how it'll perform in the long run. It's only been out as of this recording. It's been out for, I think 11 days, something like that. Uh, but it, it appears to be underperforming 
a little bit. Like as of today, we're recording on January 2nd. Uh, it has it so it's opening weekend it made 12 million dollars which is not great uh for a movie this size uh it has made to date 30 million dollars domestically 30.9 so almost 31 uh worldwide uh, including domestic and international combined about 106 million so it's not like doing awful but it's not doing great for a movie that's 100 about 190 million dollar reported budget Oof. Uh, it's a big budget. So it's, uh, you know, it's still got time. It'll, it'll come out, it'll do fine. It'll come out even and probably make a little bit of money, but it's by no means like doing blockbuster numbers right now. Uh, and it, that underperformance has like, it's likely a combination of it simultaneously premiering on HBO max combined with this recent surge in COVID cases due to the uh, Omicron variant. I think more people are staying home uh, or let's be honest, because anyone who is going out of the house to go see a movie, they're going to see fucking Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> everybody's just going to see spider-man so this this was my first this was this was my first time back in the theater matrix ever since you did a, since since you did a hit. matrix spider-man double feature on your birthday i did nice. yeah i did it's it was a very awesome. that's a very meta double feature yeah very <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i will say you know with it being my first time back in the theater i recalled why i disliked going to the theater <laughs> That, was it a bad audience or what? Well, for because we went to a matinee of Matrix and mm-hmm. we walked in like pretty close to start time. The house was I, again, we're we were in my wife's uh, hometown, Southern Jackson, Ohio, which, you know, they have a Walmart. That's about it. Um, so they <laughs> have a move. very they have a very tiny theater. And so we walk in the, the entire theater's empty. And we're like, oh, this is going to be great. Where it's, you know. Or have this whole whole place to ourselves. So we walked down front, about four rows back. You know, it was it was a nice, comfortable, uh, comfortable surrounding. And then maybe five, ten minutes into the movie, like not the trailers, not the opening credits, like the movie, this whole family came in and sat directly across from us and talked the entire time. Oh no, like, that's through nice. the entire movie. And it was just kind of like, okay, you've clearly gotten comfortable watching films at home mm-hmm. and being able to say whatever dumb thought comes into your head and so, without much thought for who else is in the room with That's you unfortunate and you've brought that to the theater so that was oh that was that and yeah man Spider-Man, I mean, I, I, spider-man was packed out we saw a, a regular uh regular show of right. spider-man and it was just kind of like yeah we're gonna bring our baby babies yeah with us man and it's, I, all that stuff the thing is like i've i've been a grumpy like film uh, film buff going to the movie theater for years yeah. and i, I fi- have finally gotten to where there are certain things that i've just learned that is part of the theatrical experience yeah. um and if somebody talks in a movie if they're now having full-on conversations and talking all the time is one thing somebody says something here or there it doesn't really bother me anymore uh, as long as they're not like right next to me and they're not doing it constantly through the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, but they're also like, I still prefer the theatrical experience because it's it's way, it is generally more distraction free, but also I have the luxury of having a weird work schedule, exactly. uh, which for, which for all of its, um, for all of the cons, which meaning like, Hey, it's Saturday night. My friends are want to go out, but I'm at work because I work weekends, you know, right, kind right. of thing for all of its cons. Um, uh, there are uh, some major pros in that I get to go to the movies when nobody's there. 
Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'll, exactly. I'll, I'll go to the movies at like one o'clock on a Wednesday <laughs> because yeah. I have a Wednesday. That, that's definitely a pro, and especially right now. The uh, I mean, this could be a whole other episode just talking about theater experience right now. But we we've discussed in our Discord about the uh, uh, fact that there's like two teenagers working the concession stand, and you have to buy your tickets at the concession Regal. stand. Regal's <laughs> a shit show right now. Regal, if you're listening, <laughs> get your shit together. One thing <laughs> I didn't add is that I I was gonna go to the theater for this, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Just you know, because making the extra step to to go out is one thing, and besides the fact that you know Omicron or whatever is happening. Uh, last time when I went to see Spider-Man, I went on like a Saturday, like matinee. And because there was only these two kids working the concession stand, I think nobody's where the by theaters. The, no, the theaters are filthy. There's and like all, popcorn I mean, having, boxes, like in every chair. They're <laughs> having was, like staffing issues, like every other area right now. And I get that, but I mean, I, I can't speak for all theaters, but the Regals that are in Greenville, South Carolina, where we're based, I uh, have not been handling it well because yeah, you're, you're having to buy your tickets at the concession stand, which makes the concession lines so slow and yeah. so long. Uh, even if you just want a popcorn and I, and I buy my tickets on through the app or at the kiosk. Uh, Cause I've got the like unlimited thing anyway, yeah. but I, but then I'm, if I want to get popcorn, I'm having to wait behind people who are buying their tickets and having to choose their seats, which breaks people's brains for some reason when they have to like choose a seat and it's very frustrating anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, see, that was, uh, yeah. And rant. last thing, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll stop talking about it. But that was one of the nice things about the theater in, in Jackson was it's a, it's a mom and pop owned yeah. four screen house. It, it was, it was, it, it was kind of nice until you realize like, Oh, these people haven't gotten out much. <laughs> well, you're- so I hope that the studio takes this all into consideration for the poor, uh, filmmakers here and uh i'm sorry lana i I saw it on hbo max and uh (laughs) that's how i watched the matrix i put it off to the last minute thinking i'd convince myself to go to the theater and then i was just like no screw it i'm not going well it sounds like we're all kind of cranky about the current theatrical experience it sounds like (laughs) we might need a nap (laughs) for sure (laughs) but there are certainly also i I think some people on the internet who have seen this movie since its release you know a week and a half ago that that might feel the same way yeah there's definitely a lot of people that uh whether or not they went to the theater or not they've uh apparently on hbo max at a 2 a.m viewing they they caught this film and uh yeah they they needed that for sure Uh, This first person writes, what the hell is this film? The amount of stupid, overwhelmingly cringe writing, dude bro atmospheric characters and pathos on steroids. I don't even know what that means, really. The first 15 minutes alone makes me want to throw up. Aside from the fact that it's woke garbage, it's worse than that. It's truly gotten the modern Hollywood treatment. Cringe-worthy directing and writing, like Terminator, like Predator, The Last Jedi. My God. Mocking agents, telling jokes, not taking anything seriously, and calling Trinity an effing MILF. Bear in mind, this is Matrix. This isn't some stupid Kevin Smith movie or an SNL sketch, a Matrix parody made for cheap laughs. But that's what this fucking feels like. 
Watching this back to back would be outright insane. It doesn't work. What the hell were you thinking, Lana? One out of 10, right there. I don't even want to continue past this point. I'm walking out. I want my money back. And I'm buddy will buy new popcorn because I got sick watching how you bastardized this. Probably the funniest part was during the first 20 minutes when Keanu looks utterly depressed and confused, effectively channeling the audience to perfection. To hell with you, Lana Wachowski for spitting on such a wondrous and beloved franchise that we've been so excited to return to for years and years. And this, this is what you came up with. Matrix Resurrections. Yeah, a damn Frankenstein-style resurrection. And to IMDb review moderator, please don't blame me for using that language in this review, but blame the movie. I'm just trying to make a point that the film does a fine job making itself. I'm going to pretend this doesn't exist now. Wow, that person is not happy. Jeez. <laughs> that was the first review I stumbled across on wow. IMDb. Says Medi, says absolute trash. Every piece of dialogue is like a YouTube comedy sketch. The fights are terrible, and the ending scene is probably the worst thing I've ever witnessed in a movie. Strong words. <laughs> yeah. uh, Pizza Lord says the red pill was replaced by a sleeping pill. <laughs> he says two and a half hours of pointless dialogue zero compelling conflict no antagonist no point no emotion no decent action absolutely no character development how this movie was made is astounding uh paul smith says absolute gash i want to eat my eyeballs wow. if you have some spare sandpaper you're better off rubbing it rubbing it on your eyes with a dash of vinegar but seriously don't watch this forget it was made Nietzsche gives it a half star, says a three-way battle against alien resurrection and Halloween resurrection for the most useless resurrection of all time. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny, but uh, uh, I'll I'll go ahead and go on the record as saying I like alien resurrection and I don't care who knows it. (laughs) (laughs) It says, but it is still a solid entry in the Neil Patrick Harris is inexplicably the best part of this movie universe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see here. Uh, if I've got I had... one here from Letterbox that I found that was pretty funny. That it just says, "I don't really like any of the Matrix sequels, but I admire people who do." <laughs> this person, uh, Jessica, says, "If I had a gun with two bullets and I was in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden, and the Matrix Resurrections, I would shoot Matrix Resurrections twice." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just an, a quote from The Office? I think so. <laughs> uh, Anthony says, please don't make any more Matrix. This was a two-pack of ass. (laughs) (laughs) So it does remain to be seen what the true legacy of the Matrix Resurrections will be. Uh, It it has, I mean, you you heard those reviews that Gary just read. Not everyone's loving this movie. It's been pretty divisive. Although I feel like I've heard more positive takes from critics than I have from like your average everyday viewer, if that makes sense. Like it's like it... It, but even with critics, it's it's split. I think maybe a lot of the people that I read have liked it. It's about sixty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and yeah, it's insane. Uh, I just pulled it up. I wanted to see it. Sixty five on Rotten Tomatoes, sixty three percent audience score. Yeah, so pretty pretty split both ways, you know. Yeah. Uh, so before I get into what I think about it, I, I guess I want to I want I want an initial reaction from you guys. Uh, I'm very curious as to where you stand on this because it is so divisive. Um, I'm, I'm curious, even, you know, looking at it as part of the overall Wachowski legacy, you know, and considering everything we've talked about on this series, and I feel like we're, we're pretty in tune to what 
they they try to do as filmmakers. Mm. Uh, where where do you guys land on the Matrix Resurrections? You know what killed me is that like even on Letterboxd. Sorry, I know you're asked a different question, but I was going to say on even on Letterboxd, <laughs> uh, what surprised me is I think on like IMDb it's. Uh, Let's see, I've got it right here on IMDb. It's a 5.7 out of 10, which mm-hmm. usually there it's like just randos. It's like uh, people who yeah, yeah. seem incompetent sometimes <laughs> review there. But uh, <laughs> Letterbox is usually pretty solid. And uh, even amongst my friends and everything, I'm seeing like mixed reactions to it. And it's got like a 3.1. It's got a 3.1. But when I look at like the people that I follow on Letterboxd, like I'm seeing a lot of like four stars, four and a half stars, at least three and a half stars. There are a couple of, of exceptions. I'm seeing a lot of threes. The majority of the people that I follow on Letterboxd are three and a half to four stars or higher. Uh, Maybe it's just the type of people that I, uh, gravitate towards on there but they're over overwhelmingly positive from the people that i'm like friends with on there so it's really interesting but yeah 3.1 so you know which still is right smack dab in the middle you know like that it's it's a very divisive film but it wouldn't be a matrix sequel <laughs> if it wasn't a divisive film you know I, that's that's just kind of that's what they do yeah yeah very true so uh, where do you guys land on it well, I, I actually, you know, we, we talked a little bit about in, in the sense eight thing where like I, I had heard from a couple of people that had said, like, don't expect anything, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I mentioned in the sense eight, I was like, well, I've been watching the Wachowskis. I feel like I got a handle on what to expect here. And uh, I found it to be more uh, entertaining than I even expected it to be. Honestly, like I, I, I liked it. Um, I thought they had like, I thought. Lana had a pretty good balance on the action and the philosophy in this yeah. one. And uh, the best I've seen her do honestly, as far probably. as like n- not, not bringing the story to a standstill. To right. Have exactly. A, yeah. yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought this flowed really, really well. Like for it being the longest matrix film, it did not feel like the longest matrix. Is film. it really the longest one? I think it's the longest one. Wow. I didn't realize and, that. Uh, oh, it, nice. it does not feel about like two and a half hours. Yeah. But I, I, I guess I assumed that the other two were a close I'll look to that, when it, Todd gives his thoughts, but I, I'm pretty positive. I, I saw it was like uh, the longest one. Interesting. Cause and, I would uh, not have guessed that. Cause it, it's very well paced. I think. Yeah, I agree. And, and so like initial, like first thoughts were that it's better than either of the other sequels to me. And, nice. uh, uh, so I, you know, I don't want to be the guy that says it's better than the first one, but I don't know. I, I think it's pretty solid because it, the, the first one's fucking green tinge upsets me most of the time. And they kind of <laughs> kill that in this one. So yeah, they definitely uh, kill that in this one. Yeah. And so, uh, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Where do you land Todd? Uh, you know, I'm going to expand on, uh, something Gary said, he said, he commented on it being very well balanced and I absolutely agree. I think where I find the balance though, is there's a balance between nostalgia, meta commentary and new areas explored in terms mm-hmm. of the philosophy and inner psychology of yeah. these, of these characters. And I think that was so well done just because it could, you could have those scales could have tipped in one of those directions very easily. If, if you go yeah. super heavy, super heavy on the psychological aspect, you risk it being boring. If you go super meta, now you've turned it into a comedy. If it's, if it's super nostalgic, it's just kind of like, why bother? 
Um, but I think they kind of found, you know, they found like a real nice sweet spot right there in the middle and all of that made for a very entertaining, uh, fresh take on a franchise that we at this point know very, very well. I'm honestly a little confused by like some reviews that I've seen or, and and even some of my friends reviews. I want to ask them about this because when people said, don't expect much or, or don't, you know, it's not what you think or. Uh, yeah, I saw that in a few t- places while I was uh, watching it. And I thought immediately it was going to be back to something I've said a few times is that like people just don't get the Wachowskis. Like they're not as, you know, I, I think I said in the Sense8 episode that that bullet time, you know, that's what people think of with the Matrix and that's what they're going to be expecting. And I'm like, so, you know, now I know I'm not going into the Matrix Resurrection is expecting like full on action packed blockbuster but then I watched it and I'm like, it's, it, it's fun. Like it's yeah, got yeah. a lot of fun in it. It's, it's like some great so action in it. I thought people were, I guess where I was going is I thought people were seeing oh, too much boring stuff or, you know, that grind to a halt thing, like you mentioned. And, and, and I don't think that that happens at this one. So I kind of finished it and was just like, well, what, what were people missing? Like there's plenty of action. Plenty well, of- <laughs> I mean, I, I think I have an idea there. Like for, for my money, I, I love the movie. I mean, I told you guys I watched it three times this week. I'm not going to watch the movie three times if I didn't enjoy it the first time, you know. Uh, but I did want to experience it again. I went to see it. Uh, my wife had not seen two and three yet. So I went to see the, this one without her uh, on opening night. I went with a couple other friends and then I, I rewatched the first, first one with her and then watched two and three with her. And then watch four and meet like this is all within three, like four days. Like we watched one a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she finally watched them. Then we watched this together. And, but in between, like I actually watched this one on my own and then watched it again the next day with her. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> just because I, I was ready to see it again. I just wanted to see it again. I, I just yeah. wanted to dig into it a little bit more because after that initial viewing, like I'm like, there's a, I like, I enjoy this. There's a lot to unpack here, you know? So I knew that this was going to be a movie that would grow upon future viewings. And I think that Lana Wachowski continues to defy expectations here, just as she and her sister had done on the second and third films in the series. It pissed off fans of the first movie. Then it's pissing them off now because they're, she's not giving them what they expect from a matrix movie. She's also, she's not only, uh, playing around with expectations of what people expect from a matrix movie, which is like bullet time, you know, and these action scenes that are shot to look like they're from a manga or something, you know, these like very expertly composed scenes. The, The action in this is not, it's not chaotic at all. It's actually very well choreographed in this, but it's not, it's shot in a, in a less fussy way than in the original movies, because everything's not just like, look, it's not made to look like a comic book or a storyboard, you know, it's shot uh, much more natural in in its movements. So there are some good action sequences, but you don't have like Morpheus doing some cool jump up in the air, slow mode while he's doing the crane. Instead, he's like running along the walls of a bathroom stall. Right. 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 Uh, Which that might be what the people that were talking to you, Gary, were talking about. Like, this is not, it doesn't look like a matrix movie, not in its action, not in its cinematography, uh, but also she's she's playing around with the expectations of what's expected, not just of a Matrix sequel, but of a, a legacy sequel, which is what is kind of the Hollywood buzz term of things like 
Ghostbusters Afterlife, like you know, Halloween uh, from 2018, like these sequels that are technically connected to the original movie, but are decades later. Yeah. You know, that these legacy sequels is kind of a, it's a decent term. I like I like the term. Yeah. But she's playing around with what's expected of a legacy sequel while also playing with Hollywood's notions of these legacy sequels and reboots and reimagining. She's playing around with, with what Hollywood's doing with all of these intellectual properties. Now, I mean, in in the first half of this film, especially Thomas Anderson is very clearly an avatar for Lana Wachowski herself, Uh, like being forced into making this new sequel to the matrix that they had no interest in initially. Yeah. Either they make a fourth matrix game or in this case, movie or Warner Brothers will simply make it with somebody else. Like that's they say that in the movie. It's, it could not be more on the nose, <laughs> you know, right. and what what they're trying yeah. to do. If you yeah. and if you've followed the production history that we, I mean, we talked about it on this episode, then you know that before Lana got involved, Warner Brothers was indeed planning on moving forward on the franchise with or without. Her. So Anderson, Thomas Anderson, Neo, uh, like Wachowski, has a choice. You can see this deeply personal story that you've worked on for uh, that's defined your life handed to somebody else or figure out a way to get back into it. It's a really cool way to, to just frame the plot of a movie is to make it about making the movie without making a movie about filmmaking. To be like, honest, that's why even if, even if he had not gone back into the matrix, that's still an engaging plot to watch. Right. Like yeah. watching this guy, Watching him, you know, who this he's he he tried to commit suicide at one yeah, point. Yeah, I, I, like there were all these watching like, it where I was I'm, like, I'm all in on that plot. And then you yeah. had this other thing like, oh, man, I was almost expecting them to actually reveal that the entire Matrix trilogy was actually just this guy having a nervous breakdown. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which really would have pissed people off. Yeah, it would have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And another, uh, I think, of the way that Wachowski is working outside of expectations is in the recasting of Morpheus. Uh, We've discussed before, you know, the possible reasons why Fishburne didn't return. Uh, I think, I I said it before, I think a big part of it is because, hey, this is 60 years later, he's dead. (laughs) But but then, Gary, you did mention that, hey, they could just make a digital avatar of him that looks like Lawrence Fishburne, right? But I think that my, my theory is that Wachowski recast the role, not because she didn't want Fishburne to return, but because she was kind of poking fun at the way that reboots and sequels always try to give us the familiar, familiar faces, familiar scenes, familiar dialogue, like repeating of lines. I can't help but think of Willem Dafoe saying, I'm something of a scientist myself in the new Spider-Man movie. You know, they're, they're doing that not because he needs to say it in that scene. They're doing it because audience will go, Hey, I recognize that from like that other movie and every fucking meme, you know, like (laughs) they're doing it as a wink. And instead of what it's worth, it got huge applause. And yeah, I mean, it gets a great, it it does. (laughs) It gets a great reaction, but Lana, what she's doing is instead of giving us the Morpheus that we remember, she's giving us a Morpheus that is very different. He's not this like stoic sage with his deep booming voice and everything's very serious. Instead, we get this Yahya Abdul-Mateen is snarky. Yeah, uh, He jokes. He literally like starts to recreate the red pill, blue pill scene when they're on that stage in the theater where it's being projected. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, 
he literally says blah 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 like while he's explaining it like blah blah <laughs> blahing his way through one of the most iconic scenes of the original movie yeah uh, <laughs> which i think is great i think it's fun it's a fun way to uh, turn expectations on their head of who you think this character should be it's also possibly some meta commentary on how that scene has over the years we talked about this a little bit in our matrix episode but the idea of the red pill you know, don't go on reddit the subreddit called red <laughs> pill uh but the way that that has been uh grasped onto by various political groups and it's all become noise yeah. that whole the original meaning of that scene has all become noise it's all just become blah 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 and i think that's her kind of th- just chucking that all out the window basically uh and which i like that she's got the nerve to do that i think that's really fun yeah. <laughs> because she had to know that she was going to piss people off yeah, I think uh, I think there's definitely a sense I, there. <laughs> she approaches this. I I feel like very much with a sense of like, hold my beer, watch this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because she had also done this on Reloaded and Revolutions. You remember, exactly. like she ex- exactly she, she uh like went completely against audience expectations on those. Yeah, they've got the big fight scenes and things like that, but the way that she, you know, ends it in this big speech from the architect like that's the essentially the finale of the second movie uh and and that speech turns what we think we know about neo as the one on its head uh she's kind of toying with the audience i think here that expected more of the same from reloaded and revolutions Mm -hmm. because you've got uh jude uh the uh, thomas anderson's co-worker there at the video game company he's kind of the the kind of fan him. And then there's another guy whose name I don't recall, but I think he's like Scottish or something or Irish. Mm. Who's one of the coworkers there. They're kind of the kind of fans who rejected any of the deeper meaning in those films. They say like, I think that the Scottish guy says something like, I don't want anything that's just requires a syllabus and a highlighter. You know, he just wants the guns <laughs> and the action and Jude boils it down to one thing, bullet time. You know, that's all he wants. And he thinks that's all the audiences want. Uh, but Wachowski, instead of just giving us bullet time again, because there's not a single bullet time scene in this movie. Right. Uh, she gives us something very different, not only from the first Matrix, but very different from anything that the franchise has seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it didn't hit me until you were talking about it here that the action even is not the same kind of action. Um, no, it's very different. I mean, yeah. Neo still knows much. Kung Fu. He says so. But... Neo never picks up a gun in this movie. Not once. Oh, yeah. Neo never. God, Neo, yeah, I never thought about that. Neo never holds a gun the entire movie. Uh, he And, and he, know, he does Kung Fu. He does hand-to-hand. But uh, the majority of his hand-to-hand combat is defensive. Uh, until he has to go on the offensive, a lot of it is him blocking. Uh, even his little force-filled power starts as like him blocking, not him using it as an offensive move. Yeah. Uh, because he even says in the movies, like, I'm done fighting. He says that to Morpheus. And that's another scene I think that defies expectations because it's in a very similar looking room to the fight with yeah. Morpheus in the first film. Yeah. Uh, but instead of this being this badass, like him learning to fight thing, it's Neo getting his ass kicked the entire yeah. time yeah. until he, until the very end, you know, yeah. it's just him getting the shit beat out of him. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. I also, I mean, I like the idea of, uh, I mean, you've seen the Wachowskis like evolve since the beginning. Um, you know, when when Matrix comes out, it's more of a, well, you got 
Rage Against the Machine performing, you know, and it's it's like this fuck corporatism and capitalism and all yeah. this other stuff, you know, like it's got a it's got kind of this rebellious attitude. And then by the time they've reached here from what we've seen with like through Speed Racer and Cloud Atlas and uh even since eight to like now, now it's got more of a Lana Wachowski wanted a happy ending. Well, <laughs> like it's, it's more like they're still revolutionary, I think. Uh, I think their themes are still revolutionary. I think that their idea of revolution has, involved, has evolved. Mm. Uh, I think instead of trying to destroy the machine, now they're trying to remake it or coexist with it. You know, well, like the humans in this film, the humans of the future of IO, uh, which is the, the human city, they're not really they're not trying to defeat the machines anymore. They're they're learning to coexist with them. Uh, I think Bugs even says at one point that what's changed is, is the definition of our side. You know, so it's not about like destroying the other side. It's about learning to get along with them. You know, over on on my podcast, the Computer Resume podcast, available now wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> we talk a lot about the journey without and the journey within. I feel like the matrix the original trilogy was sort of neo's journey to make sense of the world that he's in the journey without and i feel like especially with uh neil patrick harris's amazing performance as the analyst it's more about the journey within of reconciling okay so i know the world that i'm in this is the world that i'm in am i reconciling that in my own mind and you know if if it isn't then the world outside begins to crumble you know the thoughts and belief structures and all that stuff starts to crumble unless it makes sense in my own mind which i i that's that's what i take away from it yeah i mean there's plenty you can dig into thematically yeah. on this the, the the analyst big speech at the end about uh feelings versus facts i mean dude you could yep. you could write a thesis on that oh, shit based yeah. on based <laughs> on just the current media landscape you know that, yeah. that feelings are so much more easy to manipulate than facts like how you how how much could you dig into that you know oh, there, yeah. there's a lot to be said about this and i think that this movie in the future i really think that there's going to be just as much like written about this potentially as the first matrix. Yeah. Uh, I think once yeah. people like get di start digging into it, there's a lot there, but underneath all of it, underneath all of this talk of revolution and rebuilding society and all of these other themes that you could dig into the central theme of the film is it's a love story. Uh, specifically Neo and Trinity's love story. This series has always toyed with the idea of being a romance and this time it is front and center it is the plot of the movie yeah. the major plot of the movie is neo and trinity the, the major like moment in this movie the big finale is them reconnecting yeah. it's not a big fight it's not a big fight between neo and and the analyst or neo and smith or any particular machine uh, there, in fact, the finale of the, of the, of the film is really, a, a, a chase it's Neo and Trinity just trying to run away. Like they're trying to escape, uh, yeah. from this zombie horde, which is really amazing. By the way, that scene, 
uh, the, the, the bodies flying out of the window. Oh uh, my god, oh man, that puts fucking <laughs> bad boys too to shame. It still <laughs> makes me wonder, like, are these real people? Like, in no, no, they're bots. bots. They call them bots. Okay, they're, they they're bots. bots. They they talk about it. Um, the analyst talks about it when he's in Trinity's garage where she's building the motorcycles. He says that they've saturated the population with bots instead of just having to have like agents hack into people. Mm. Uh, they've saturated the population with bots that they can then control by doing the like swarm mode, but it's a way to keep an eye on people gotcha. uh, essentially. So uh, a lot of humans essentially have a handler, you know, like the guy who works yeah. like Trinity's coworker, you know? Uh, so, yeah. So these are just bots that have been activated and turned into bombs essentially and start being flung out of buildings, which is just an insane sequence, I think. Yeah. But that whole finale is a, a, it's not a confrontation. It's an, it's an escape. Uh, which is very, very different from anything we've seen in the previous movies, which all really ended in a big hand-to-hand fight scene. Yeah, you know? yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but, you you mentioned too, like the the revolution part of it, and I, I had not thought of it really that much before. But it is, it is still like the revolution is there. There's just like you said, there's different. Yeah, you know, the first one was very clearly trying to be like them versus the machines. But as the sequels came along, you realized the machines weren't just all on the same side either the right. machines were all independent and you see now that they'll have wars against each other for yep. scarcity and uh when they need supplies or whatever but and then neo even has the moment of like where he's like feels like nothing i did mattered but then yeah. uh bugs is like showing like well no it's not that nothing mattered you know he, he's expecting like long-term change to have just happened overnight because yeah. he did what he did but she's showing like you know we, they grow strawberries and they have yeah. friends that, that are robots and they have right. like, you know, right. like all of this stuff has changed. It's all different. And um, I, and even the idea that he's like the ultimate savior, he's, he's the one, well, he's, he's the one when he's with Trinity. He's the one like. when he's with Trinity. Yeah. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that, that kind of gets into that sincere, that sincerity and romanticism that we've noticed as a trend in the Wachowski's films. Right. Cause mm-hmm. in, in this movie, Neo realizes that his powers are dependent on Trinity. Uh, they're limited when she's not around. It's the power of their love, their of them being together that makes him who he is, which is a very just like a very like we've <laughs> yeah. talked about a very sincere notion, a very I mean, some people are going to find it cheesy, but we've over the course of the series learned that that's just who they are. They just they have yeah. this very uh, let's be honest, romanticized we're all we're all three married no and we're we, we're all not to each other well, not to each other <laughs> <laughs> although uh, I mean, but yeah I, I you know i feel like i'm my best self when i'm when i'm with my wife that's very yeah, sweet Todd. you know I've, well thank you but i mean but sincerely like yeah i feel like i'm a better person with that and i'm sure you guys probably feel something similar you know I that they bring out the best somewhere happy <laughs> <laughs> i'm my best self when i'm with you Todd. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> you guys can fly when you when you hold each other. Yeah, we can. But no, no, you're right. I mean, that's that's a really kind of beautiful concept that they're putting in the middle of what's a big blockbuster sci-fi action movie that's right. defying every other expectation. So why not do this and make Trinity the one who saves Neo at the end? Yeah, yeah. Which is like, well, she, almost that's a fun, makes that's the, a fun turn. Yeah. yeah, it almost makes the one thing too less of a. Um, it's like he's some kind of destined like it's it's more like a mindset like a like you're like where you're at in your brain instead yeah. of yeah. 
he's just got some kind of birthright to be the one. Right. It's a, it's a different idea. Yeah. And then in the end, you know, they, they both have these powers at the end. They fly. I love the final confrontation with the analyst where they just come into his building and he's trying to negotiate. And they're like, nah, dude, like we're, we're past that. We're past negotiating. We're here to remake the world. So they're no, no longer, again, they're no longer trying to defeat the machines. They're trying to recreate the, they're trying to make the world a better place, despite the fact that the machines are still there. You know, and I think that's a pretty beautiful sentiment. You know, that's a, and that's very, it's very Lana Wachowski mm. <laughs> that, that yeah. you know, eventually like we just got to make things better. Like that's, that's what Cloud Atlas is all about. And this, watching these movies in such a quick succession, you know, not just the Matrix movies, but all of the Wachowski movies really like hammers that home, like just how, how sentimental. <laughs> they they really are yeah which i don't think they get enough credit for well i think they're they're thoughtful like just in general and, yeah. and and that's one of the things that i've grown to love about them is even like and and empathetic and non-judgmental in some of their stuff you know Very. like that was uh uh even in you know because it's easy to be like revolutionary and like wipe out every other concept or think that it's not valid but they're showing that like even i mean even with this for example the the easy one would be the machines you know like it's easy to just say these are the other and they're the bad guys and that's not the case the machines all have their own individual motives and their own ideas and beliefs and like they're even though they're supposed to be this evolved species almost they're still like at the end of the day when resources are dwindled down they're fighting each other and they're they're they've got their own shit to work through and so it's uh they've, they've been good about that even with like you know like it's easy to like wipe out religion uh like or christianity or something else they like include it in all of this stuff like yeah. still got your bible verses like on the ship in this one they still like these are all just different philosophies and and different ways of reading the world basically and so it's just kind of interesting they're 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 very thoughtful yeah i i absolutely agree and i've i've really enjoyed like going through their entire filmography this way it's really given me an appreciation for them i I was already a fan because the matrix the original matrix was a big movie for me uh as i was like really becoming a big film buff like that was an important one for me so i've always been and wore trench coats all the time um i never wore a trench coat never got into trench coats (laughs) but i did did wear and do wear a lot of black (laughs) still (laughs) but uh but i don't know this has really made me appreciate them even more i think it still had the Rage Against the Machine song at the end. Well, yeah, but it's by Brass Against, which is fun because uh, yeah. you've, you've got a gender bent version of uh, of the song playing at the end, which I think is really fun. Uh, Sophia Eurista, I think is her name, the lead singer of Brass Against. She, she pissed she, on the guy's face yeah, on she, stage. She'll always be known as the girl who pissed on her fan's face <laughs> on stage. <laughs> I don't know that I knew that. Holy oh, crap. Yeah, this, this happened back in November, probably like just recently yeah she was they were playing at a uh at a festival and she called a fan up on stage and had her lay down underneath him and she just peed on his head <laughs> but, <laughs> there's I mean, video online you can find yeah, it yeah you can find it yeah but they're pretty awesome and i mean she's not she's she's very attractive lady. So if you're going to get peed by, on by somebody, I mean, there are worse people to pee on you. Sure. That's, that's true. <laughs> if you must get peed on. <laughs> uh, they're, they're actually a really fun band though. Uh, but I really thought that was a fun little nod at the end of this movie. So 
Before we wrap it up, though, guys, it is time for one of my favorite segments on here. We do always towards the end of these episodes, and that is our further viewing segment. Uh, I've got mine ready to go. I know exactly what I would show as a double feature with this, but I want to hear what you guys say first. Ooh, uh, you know, no, further, no. <laughs> you just heard it down. You're like, well, no, no. I got nothing. Um, <laughs> no, you know, this. I think this is pretty unique, and of course, outside of the original trilogy, I think I would probably go with something a little bit more like Expendables. Um, just, you know, bringing those old familiar faces back, putting them in a new context and seeing, you know, what, what fun you have with it. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Like we said, there's plenty of deep philosophical things to unpackage here, but at the end of the day, you get, especially right now, while it's still in theaters, you get yourself some popcorn and your friends and you go and you sit, you watch, you have a good time. Um, so I think that was the whole vibe for expendables. It's just like, Hey, you know what? One more go around. All right, let's get everybody together and just make this thing and have some fun with it. And uh, I think this would pair nicely. Yeah, Gary, what I, you got? I think you go with. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the Wachowski movies like Cloud Atlas mirrors this, or like you know has a similar theme to it. I guess I would go back to Blade Runner. Still, like either one of the Blade Runner movies. Well, really, the, the Blade Runner twenty forty nine came to my mind just because it's another one of those legacy sequels. You know, if you wanted to watch another legacy sequel, uh, yeah, I think that I think that would be a pretty solid choice. Yeah, that that would be my go to. So my Blade Runner twenty forty nine is one that I considered, but ultimately I decided if I were going to do a, a double feature with this, I would go Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, oh good yeah. call. Well, Wes Craven's new nightmare. <laughs> because nice. this is this is Lana Wachowski's new nightmare. Like this yeah. is her acknowledging oh, the franchise and just going very meta in a very different direction. And I just think that would be a fun. They're both very knowing, you know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Very winking at the audience, but both <laughs> done in a way that doesn't feel like that feels like it it's supposed to be that way it doesn't feel forced you know yeah uh which which is very easy to do when you're referencing your own work but uh yeah so Wes craven's new nightmare would be my double feature on this one nice. as much as you love somebody don't jump off a building with them don't do it don't do it uh, they cannot fly <laughs> most likely it'll, it'll ruin your weekend yeah you'll you'll die <laughs> probably it depends on what floor you're on i guess but yeah i mean either you way you're gonna ruin have your bad. weekend you probably won't care but <laughs> you'll ruin like, somebody's weekend <laughs> somebody's gonna have to deal with your guts but uh the uh, ems arrives and like ah, really? get out the shovel damn it <laughs> take us to a movie tonight god they had to they had to there was like a legit jump with the wiring and everything attached to them they did it like 20 times over yeah. like a two-day period they said just a crazy crazy moment there's some great uh-huh. stuff well that's it guys we've reached the end of our series on the wachowskis uh this was this was fun this was a fun series i think we had a lot of fun. i think we all uh, learn to appreciate them more than we had before. Some yeah. of us, like me, who I was already a fan, uh, became a bigger fan and began to notice like aspects of their filmmaking style that I had not seen before. And then some people, like the Matrix, or like like the Matrix, like like Gary over here, uh, who was 
I'd say a mild fan at best. I know he was okay. He thought the original matrix was okay and actively disliked speed racer the first time we talked about it. So, sure. yeah, <laughs> but he has definitely come around and I, I've, I, I've grown a respect for the Wachowskis. Like yeah. I, I just, uh, I mean, I would not say they're like my favorite filmmakers at all, but they're, they're, but you'd uh, look forward to a new film. Yeah. But I would look forward to a new film and, and, and I know what to expect out of them. And I appreciate them yeah. a lot. I'm glad they exist. Um, yeah. and have done what they've done. I think they bring some really great stuff to filmmaking. And what do you think uh, they were trying to say with the, uh, the, the face masks with the, uh, code on it? What? COVID's not real. Did when you... did they, when was there a face mask with code, code on it? In, on the train. The kids, when they're fighting on the, on the chain. Train. Oh, yeah. did it have code on it? I didn't even notice. Yeah, the yeah. face mask. There is a lot of code throughout the movie though. Yeah. It's like running the matrix code on the face mask. <laughs> there's a lot of like hidden matrix code throughout the movie i think that's going to be fun to kind of pick out that as you watch i watched it i noticed a couple times on this last rewatch uh that i had not noticed before which is pretty neat well i i mean and i definitely will be looking forward to another movie from the wachowskis whether they do it solo or separately and i think that what we'll probably do since we've covered their whole series if you know in a couple years uh if they've still if, if one of them comes out with a new movie or something Maybe we'll add it as like a an addendum to this. Yeah, that's series, a good idea. You know? I think that'll be they're fun. not done. So, they're gonna make. Yeah, they're definitely movies. not done. They got a lot. Do you more think to the say. Matrix is done? <laughs> Do I think the Matrix is done? They the, the producers are saying that it is one hundred percent done now. But again, we've heard that before, so who knows? Uh, it, this movie isn't making the kind of money right now to where Warner Brothers is going to be driving up a dump truck full of cash to Lana Wachowski's house, begging her to make a fifth Matrix movie. That doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. Personally, I would love to see the Matrix expanded into a long-form TV series, not with these characters. Uh, I think these characters belong in the movies where they are, but I would love for HBO Max to do like a a, a series set within the Matrix exploring other parts of the universe. Yeah, uh, I was thinking... And bring Lana on as like a producer or whatever. She doesn't have to direct it, but, you know, have her involved creatively somehow and just keep telling stories within this. I would be happy with that. There's no reason the Matrix can't work like the MCU in a sense. Right. Like, I mean, it just it feels like there's a whole especially now now there's a lot of potential yeah i mean you can even if you you know if you got to skip past it like neo and trinity fly off together and nobody knows where the hell they are and they're or they're referenced every now and then because they're essentially gods within the matrix now exactly Uh, so then you you just go on and you've got a whole now that you could also do you could also do stories that are set earlier in the timeline you know like a morpheus origin story if you wanted to stick with characters from that or just stuff set you know within the second i want to see more of the second renaissance i want to see more stories set within that timeline uh yeah. from from the animators because that's well hell there's there's a shit ton of crews you could follow yeah. one crew follow as they are continuously yeah. recruiting yeah. people uh yeah. design it could be like star trek you just a different you know exactly absolutely. so yeah I, I just can't see how this is it and if anything they I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see what HBO Max finds out from the streaming and yeah. uh, and then, you know, what that means with Warner Brothers and everything. But maybe they just, yeah, maybe they're just sort of like, we don't have to give Lana Wachowski truckloads of cash, but we can make stuff. Yeah. I mean, they own it. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us for this series. Let's talk about what we're doing on our next episode. So, yes. 
We're doing something a little bit different starting with our next episode. We're still doing a long form series like we're doing on the Wachowskis. Our next one is going to be on David Cronenberg. Uh, We're not doing his entire filmography because we would spend the entirety of 2021 talking about David Cronenberg. If we did that, we're going to split his filmography up into multiple series, kind of like we did with Toby Hooper. Uh, But we're not doing that quite yet. Next week, we're going to start a new kind of featured episode. You know, it's a a new kind of thing that we're going to do. Because they're, you know, when we talk about movies that we want to discuss here on the podcast, a lot of times we'll come, I'll come across movies and I'm like, man, that'd be really fun to talk about on the podcast. Wonder what kind of series I could fit that in. Like, who's this filmmaker or does it fit thematically into another series like the Kill Bill series we did? And some movies I just can't, I just can't pigeonhole into some sort of series. Uh, or the filmmaker might have only made a one decent movie or may, might have only made one movie that I feel like is worthy of a, you know, a two hour discussion. There, there are many reasons why a, a, a movie might not work as part of something larger, but they're still worth talking about, you know? So, oh, and just as a side listeners, you can also make recommendations. Yeah, <laughs> we'll hear yeah. recommendations. Oh, absolutely. Time. Especially for this series uh, yeah. be- or this, this kind of feature that we're going to do. Cause a lot of these movies we, we've got had things, suggested to us before but uh we're like ah that doesn't fit into a series or whatever we can't figure that out of put that in yeah so what like we're gonna really do is- wanted us to cover debbie does dallas or um <laughs> you know whatever you just throw it at us we'll add it yeah. to the to the pot yeah so what we're gonna do is we i've got a list of movies and that we're going pages. to be talking that we're going to be uh and, and this will be an ever-growing list of movies that I've got just saved on my letterbox. It, it's a private, uh, it's a private one right now, but I think over time, once we get it built up, we'll probably make it public, and you can look at it and see what the list of our movies is. Uh, they're all numbered, although they are minutes, ten days, ten minutes they are, more like it, but <laughs> they are kind of randomly. They're not in any kind of order on my list, so like when we choose them, it'll be totally random. Uh, and what we're doing is we're just going to spin a wheel and. We're going to see what movie gets chosen for us, what fate chooses for us. Nice. It's like in so, WCW when they did the spin the will make a deal and Sting yes. had to spin and he had to be in a coal miners glove match against Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> what is it's it going to be exactly glove? like that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. So if you guys are ready, as of right now, my list of films is 58 movies long, which is a lot nice. because, like, if we, that, that's, you know, if we're only doing this every now and then between series that run for months at a time, then we're, you know, we're not going to get to a lot of these anytime soon. So let's spin the wheel. Todd, yes. do, the, do the honors, spin the wheel. And Hopefully oh, big money, on, no whammies, big on, money, no whammies. I'm hoping for Julia Roberts series. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what if it was just my best friend's wedding? What if that's what just happened? What if that's what was chosen? No, the fate has chosen it's number nine on my list of movies and it is from what year is this 2000 from the year 2000 it's a japanese film so we're talking about a foreign film this is battle royale directed by kenji fukusaku uh so that i could not think of a better movie for us to start on for this (laughs) nice that fits that works that's that's (laughs) very cool uh i'm very excited for that so yeah there we go battle royale should be pretty easy to find uh you can probably rent it it's on tubi and stuff too so you'll find a way to watch it it's actually streaming in like a 
a shit ton of places so it's very easy to find <laughs> yeah i was just uh, gonna look it up but yeah it's uh it's definitely yeah everywhere it looks yeah. like it's on the roku channel with ads if you yeah. wanted to go that way and voodoo with ads. yeah so it's uh it's very easy to find uh, so that's it. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, we'll talk about Battle Royale as one of our, we'll call these a Cinema Shock one-off episodes. Uh, and then the episode after that, we're going to get into the career of David Cronenberg. So get ready for that. Sweet. So, It'll lead right, perfectly I'm, into that. So. It kind of does, honestly. <laughs> so that's that's pretty great. So let's talk about that next week. Uh, where, can, where can our listeners find you, distinguished gentlemen on the internet? <laughs> I am uh, at this is Gary Horn on all the social medias. Uh, you can also see some of the stuff I work on with the NWA that they're at NWA on all the things, not the not the rap group. Yeah, no, the National it. Wrestling Alliance, National Wrestling Alliance. And as of this recording, they'll be back on YouTube on all over the YouTube with their show NWA Power and oh. uh, a new show called NWA USA. Is it exclusive to YouTube or is it still on Fight TV? Uh, it'll or whatever? still first power. NWA USA will be exclusive to YouTube. Uh, power will still first air on Fight TV with the monthly subscription NWA All Access. But a few days later, you'll be able to watch it on YouTube as well. Nice. Very cool. Sweet. And uh, if you like Star Trek and want to hear me uh, wax philosophical or comical about that, you can uh, join me in a rotating panel of my family, friends, and occasional Star Trek cast members through the entire franchise in chronological order. So that is over uh, the Computer Resume podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach the show at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now Patreon. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. I am at Justin underscore Bishop. Uh, that's on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, where I just did my year in review. Uh, I'm still working on my top 10 movies of the year, so I've still got a handful of movies to uh, to watch before I get a full top 10, but that'll be on my Letterboxd if you're interested nice. in that at all. I've also got a list, an ongoing list of all the movies we've talked about on Cinema Shock. And as I mentioned, we'll have this list of potential Cinema Shock one-offs that'll be added. Uh, I'll be taking Battle Royale off of that list since it has now been chosen. Uh, but, and I'm also, I'm looking at the, the cast and crew of Battle Royale and I'm going to go ahead and, and apologize for how badly I'm going to pronounce every one of these names on that episode. <laughs> so just go ahead and get that out of the way. I will do my best. Nice, <laughs> and, nice. and I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> you can find Cinema Shock at uh, Cinema underscore Shock on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook or at cinemashock.net. Uh, at cinemashock.net, you can find a list of all of our episodes, all of our series that we do. Uh, I'll eventually probably put a, uh, a page where you can find all of the one-off episodes kind of grouped together, maybe. Uh, you can find all that. You can find links to our Discord on there, links to buy our merch over at Threadless. Uh, and all that, and rate and review, and all that. Tell your friends if your friends are fans of the Matrix. Maybe they've seen the new Matrix movie. Maybe they haven't. Uh, send them this series. Let them dive into the the filmography of the Wachowskis like we have. It's been really fun. And thank you for joining us. Until next week. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. And be excellent to each other. I know you said the story was over for you, but that's the thing about stories. They never really end, do they? We're still telling the same stories we've always told, just with different names, faces. And I have to say, Johnny has the keys. 
I like that you kind of did the Hugo weaving thing in there. You I, weaved in. I weaved it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to wrap.